Philip Zadina gets a second chance to make it big in the big leagues. I don't know how many chances Tony D'Angelo's had to do that. Um, same with Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, but a guy who got his bag is Alex Dabrinkit. We mentioned him last episode, and in natural Lace Em Up podcast fashion, an hour after we stop recording, uh, he finds his new home, or I guess you could say his old home because he's from Detroit, now back in Detroit, uh, now with a semi-long-term deal, and we are going to break it all down for you in episode 373 of the Lace Em Up podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, full disclosure, this is a live newsroom, so if you hear stuff in the background, uh, it is what it is. Uh, starting with uh, Tony D'Angelo, um, I don't know what the record is for how many buyouts in an NHL lifetime, but uh, yep. Tony D'Angelo's got two now. Yeah, it's got to be up there for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, we, this is like a Nostradamus type episode, because first off we were talking, I mean, I guess we kind of get some credit for the different cat thing, because uh, we were talking about it the last episode, it was like speculation for the last couple of days before we recorded, so there was like a good inkling that it was going to happen soon, um, and then, um, the reason why I mentioned I, like another example was because uh, like we as as listeners know I uh, me and Steve sometimes just are not sometimes every week we just we have an email thread going on just updating each other on NHL news and whatnot um, and um, like about like an hour before Tony, the news that Tony D'Angelo gets term contract gets terminated Steve emails me saying like wonder what meanwhile i wonder what ha, what's going on with tda because there was like speculation that he was going to go to Car- carolina um but mm-hmm. then the nhl kind of like nixed the deal because apparently there's some sort of rule in in the um, in the agreement that you can't you can't trade a player back to its original team until it's like 365 days later and um and then like at that point when Steve was emailing me it was like 365 days later and like two more weeks so um so yeah it it didn't end up happening or I mean I guess he could still sign with Carolina on a on a reasonable deal but who knows if that's if they can actually make that work because I think they're probably tight uh cap wise but yeah, so Tony D'Angelo, he gets bought out. Um, I guess it kind of makes some sense that he gets. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if it necessarily makes. Uh, I I should say that he probably could have gotten some value out of Tony D'Angelo because he did have 42 points in 70 games um, for a bad Philadelphia team um, this past year. However, there were some reports that like Torts was not impressed with D'Angelo's defensive abilities. Um, 
and, and yeah, maybe, wasn't he benched and scratched a whole lot as well? Yeah, yeah, or something like that. And um, you know, I I think that's just just goes with the territory with him because that that's always been a thing with D'Angelo is that of course he's very very good offensively speaking, but um, but like he's not that good defensively, um, which is kind of funny because he is a defense he is a defenseman, but. Uh, he kind of plays like a forward, so, so yeah, that there there is like um, maybe there there was something to it where he just didn't get along with Torts, which is also kind of funny too because you would think those two uh, would get along um, more uh, or you know better than than they did, but um, yeah, so I um, I do want I guess. I, I do wonder if Carolina just now signs him because there is no longer that, um, you know, the NHL doesn't need to step in and and be like, hey, um, we you can uh, like they don't necessarily care about that, I guess. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's um, I'm sure I'm sure he'll eventually get signed and some and some team will give him a chance, but um, it might not be. Um, this week, we'll see. I guess maybe I shouldn't say never because like watch him get signed like like in an hour or something. Yeah, within an hour after we're done recording. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I uh, cut you uh, off there. I I will say to uh, Tony D'Angelo, you're running out of future employers because you know whether it's past transgress past bleh, past transgressions or your lack of ability to commit to defense uh, in game situations, um, you're going to run out of suitors. Simple as that. Uh, this guy was drafted in 2014. He was Tampa Bay property at the start. Then he was traded to Arizona. And when you get traded away by Steve Eiserman, something is probably up. And then he gets traded to the Rangers, where he's, in terms of uh, seasons played, uh, that's his longest day, uh, spent parts of four seasons. His fourth only lasted six games because, you know, he punched Alex Georgiev in the locker room uh, or in the tunnel. Either way, um, it was after a game-changing play and um, an incident that had no business happening happened, and he instigated it. Um, then he goes to Carolina after spending the rest of that season in the minors. The 2020-21 uh, season was mostly spent in the AHL um, because the Rangers wanted nothing to do with him. They bought him out. Uh, so this is actually the second time in three years he's been bought out, I just realized. Then he has a one-year stay in Carolina. It was very, very productive. Then he goes to Philadelphia, signs a $5 million per year deal for two years. The Flyers actually give up a second, a third, and a fourth to get him. Right. And now they buy him out because of the trade that didn't happen with the Hurricanes, and supposedly it's because the Hurricanes are in on Eric Carlson. And I think that is why on July 8th, when the deal could have gotten done, it didn't happen, and the Flyers are probably just like, you know what, instead of just weighing it out, we're going to cut bait, we're going to buy him out. I feel like if it was that clear that there was a chance Carolina might circle back to D'Angelo, they were going to. But I think they're hard in on Carlson or some other big-name defenseman, and they're, that's why they're not going to get D'Angelo. Or if they are going to get D'Angelo, yeah. you know, they force the Flyers' hand and they just, you know, pay him a cheap one-year deal after the Flyers buy him out. Yeah. Um, 
what's funny is the Tony D'Angelo saga in Philly, while it lasted a year, offensively it wasn't that bad. Um, he His career high is 15 goals, uh, which he set in 2019-20. He got 11 last year. Um, he had 42 points, which is his third highest point total. Uh, he had 174 shots. That's a season high for him. Uh, he has 19 points. Uh, his previous high was 20, set the previous year. Uh, he had four, four power play goals, which is a career high for a single season. Uh, he averaged 309 per game on the power play, which is right up there with his career high. I think it's top three, top four. And his ice time prior to this season, he didn't average 20 minutes in a single NHL season. His average ice time in Philly, 2204. So even though he was at odds with Tortorella, he was still put in a lot of situations to excel. He was given a lot of chances to do things and it just didn't work out. So I think Tony D'Angelo, as I mentioned, when he left the Hurricanes for the Flyers, is good if you insulate him properly. Carolina did that and they benefited. They reaped the rewards. So I think Tony D'Angelo, when in the perfect situation, is gonna be you know, a suitable player. But his fit in the locker room, his commitment to defense, there aren't too many teams that are able to deal with Tony D'Angelo's negatives mm. and uh, maximize his positives. So that's why I say while he's been laying low, he hasn't been generating any social media attention for all the wrong reasons. Um, and the knock on him is his lack of commitment to defense. Um, his suitors are still wearing thin because I don't think there are too many places in the NHL where he can go to and, you know, have a sustainable living while also, yep. you know, doing what he does best. And that's what points on the board. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just that he, uh, he was on Twitter making noise. It was also like he got it. He punched, uh, Gorgiev when he was on the Rangers, um, as well. And he divided right, right. the entire, like no one on the Rangers was on his side, basically. And he was just demoted in the AHL. Um, it seems like, yeah, you're probably right that he, he might have, like, cleaned up his act, even though, like, he, like it's, it's kind of tough to get worse than uh, what he was in, in New York. So um, there's that. And then on the Carlson news, um, supposedly it is between two teams, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, as Steve just uh, mentioned, and the other team is the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I... I would imagine that whoever doesn't get Carlson um, will go out and get Tony D'Angelo, um, which would be inter- which would be kind of funny for Tony D'Angelo if he goes to the Penguins, because this would be his fourth Metropolitan team if he does go to another uh, team in that division, obviously. But um, I'm sure the Flyers wouldn't be disappointed at all if he went to Pittsburgh. Uh, well, yeah, I mean. The Flyers don't, um, I mean, the, the Flyers are in rebuild mode, so they don't care what the Penguins are doing. I'm, I mean, this season at the very least, so, but yeah, maybe. I'm just saying, like, they can deal with D'Angelo, fine. Yeah, uh, be, be our guest. Go ahead, take him. Well, oh, I, I thought you were, yeah, yeah, no, I know that they have a rivalry and all that stuff, but, like. Ultimately, yeah, I, I think out of all the players that would go to, you know, the state rival, I don't think the Flyers would be mad if the Penguins signed D'Angelo on a one-year. Yeah, they, no, they wouldn't mind at all. For sure, but I, I, I also don't, like, it's, like, 
the Flyers are rebuilding, the Penguins are trying to get one last go for it. So those are they're both on completely different directions at this moment. Um, so when well, I get rebuilding, it's it's just that I if I'm not mistaken, also just the Philadelphia Flyers also. I think they gave up a fifth round pick to get Kevin Hayes' signing rights, and all they could get back was a sixth. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> they, they gave up more to get Kevin Hayes' signing rights than they did just to trade him out of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they give up a second, a third, and a fourth for one year of D'Angelo, and then they buy him out and get nothing. Right, right. <laughs> I think, thank God they hit on the. Um, I will. The, uh, what what whatever trade it was from earlier in the year, well, the also, trade because uh, yeah. they they got nothing out of the two trades I mentioned. Yeah, I guess that's a good point, fairly decent point. But I will to play devil's advocate here. Um, the Kevin Hayes signing was a bad signing from the beginning, although he he is still pretty good, just not seven million dollars. And also the Tony D'Angelo was good when they signed him. However. Both those signings, like, both those trades were questionable at the start, or signings at the start, and that was from Chuck Fletcher, and now, um, and those were, like, those were, like, the most egregious things that Chuck Fletcher did as his GM, was, like, sign Kevin Hayes to a, a like, seven million dollars, and, uh, trade for Tony D'Angelo when you were clearly rebuilding, so, um, so from that standpoint, it's like okay, like those two players, even though yes, they did, they do have some offense abilities to it. They're just reminders of what Chuck Fletcher did on as the franchise on, um, as a GM there. So I can totally understand just like just wanting to get rid of those people because it's like okay, well. Let's just get what we can get out of them, even if it's, like, nothing. And also, you have to mention, there was that, like, for Kevin Hayes as well, um, there was a trade in place for uh, for the, the Flyers to get even more out of Kevin Hayes, uh, but then Tory Krug was like, no, I, I don't want to go to Philly. So... Um, right. You also have I to... You, you know, like, there, there are certain circumstances... Um, and I, I think you could, like, you know, I, I know that there was, like, a, they were trying to trade him to Carolina, but I am wondering, like, I feel like if you wanted to trade TDA, fine, I get it, but, like, I, I feel like there would be more teams that would be willing to, to take him on. Um, I guess maybe just that, like, the $5 million was too rich in a flat cap world now so maybe apparently that has they were to willing to retain salary to make it yeah. happen as well in that so, proposed trade to carolina so, so if yeah. they traded d'angelo they would have had to retain salary yeah so if you're gonna knock the flyers maybe you could make the case that like oh they shouldn't have like they could have probably traded him for something but i guess at the same time it's like okay would you would you want like if you're gonna trade or get Tony D'Angelo. Yes, he is great offensively speaking, but is he worth five million or how, however much they were going to retain it? And if you're Philly's case, they're just like, all right, we'll just eat this contract because we're not even going to compete this year, really. It would be uh, tough to trade away. Yeah. I'll give you that. It would yeah. be very tough to trade away. So, so maybe that had more to do with it too, and it's just like they're like, all right, let's just eat our losses, and and uh, and because we're not we're we're gonna get Michkov in 
three years, and Cutter Gauthier, he's going to be pretty good too um, in a couple more years. Um, so, so maybe they're just preparing for that. Um, it's just another laughable moment yeah. in Flyers history. That's also, the other thing I noticed as we're going through this lineup that um, Cam York also signed a two-year deal worth $1.6 So maybe that was yeah. the other... The other price time, yeah. yeah, I can 100% see that, yes. And that was also probably the other reason why uh, the Flyers were willing to move on um, from from them. Uh, from D'Angelo, and they traded Proverb. That would be a a, de- a decent, um, if you're in fantasy hockey, Cam York might be a, a decent, um, uh, like a flyer sleeper for fantasy hockey. Because yeah. he'll like I don't think there's anyone even close to uh, to being like that power play guy specialist for him. So yeah, currently they have Travis Sanheim, Rasmus Ristolainen, yep. Sean Walker, Mark Stahl, Nick Sealer, and Igor Zamula as their oh, wow. D pairing. Yeah. Uh, as their good. defense <laughs> right now on cap friendly. That's like Arizona Coyotes level bad. Uh, before yeah. Sean Durson, So <laughs> And they also have Brian Ellis on L T I R, which yeah. God knows what's gonna happen to him. Right, right, right. Um although I guess I shouldn't say that because Sean Dursey's pretty good too, but um um, but they, like Falamaki, who knows, and, and JJ Moser, we'll see. Anyways, um, moving on here, uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we covered the Alex Newhook trade, um, and Montreal got him, um, and they signed him to a four-year deal uh, worth two point nine million uh, per year. Um, so. Um, so yeah, this is this is going to be one of those ones where if if he says if he pans out, um, like yeah, a new hook last year, he had uh, let me I, I was just looking at his page too, uh, yeah he had uh, thirty points in eighty two games last year with thirteen minutes of ice time or fourteen minutes of average ice time, um, and if he can get better, um, which he probably will because he's twenty two years old. Um, He'll like you know this this contract is going to be a steal uh, for Montreal um, and like you you get him for uh, f- uh, four years um, like you know two point nine isn't anything really so um, yeah if you can be like a top si- a six player for them um, even if he's not a center um, this is this is a pretty nice uh, contract for them and I'm jealous of Montreal for for this contract. <laughs> I think if he was a Bruins fan. Um, yeah, just taking a look at uh, some of his line combinations uh, last year, he was on, like, lines with Evan Rodriguez, Valerie Nichushkin, um, more lines with Evan Rodriguez as the season went along. Then he spent a little bit of time with guys like Mika Ranton and JT Comfer. Um, hey, Alex Galchenyuk as well. Um, so he wasn't really, you know around star talents i mean yeah he was but like not the all-star all-stars talents that colorado has like uh mckinnon and ranton and all those guys uh but he still got 30 points in 82 games 14 goals roughly the same production as the years prior um his shooting percentage maybe could be a little bit better but like 11 12 percent you know that's not terrible for a new guy coming in especially a guy that hasn't even averaged 14 minutes in the NHL yet, 
uh, starting to get his feet wet on um, special teams on the power play. He got a couple of power play points. Uh, he had six power play points. The year Colorado won the Stanley Cup as well. Uh, he got some face-off minutes. Only 22 years old as well. And when you look at uh, the line combinations for uh, the Montreal Canadiens and his potential line mates there, uh, currently on uh, daily face-off, they have him as the third-line left winger on a line with uh, Jake Evans uh, centering uh, that line and Brendan Gallagher on the right side, who, you know, once upon a time was a top six forward and has gone through injury troubles. But, um, you know, you have Cole Caulfield, obviously, as the first-line left winger. I doubt that changes. But you also have Yuri Slikovsky as the fourth-line left winger. You have Mike Hoffman as the second-line left winger. He's probably trade bait at some point. Um, Christian Dvorak, maybe he's trade base, same as Sean Monet. And so as the season goes on, you could see Alex Newhook getting minutes on the second line on a consistent basis. And the key thing to note about this um, contract here is that it's worth 2.9 per, uh, per season over four years, as you mentioned, but he's also a restricted free agent when it expires. So they still have yeah. his rights after this. So for team and player, I think it's um, it's the best of both worlds, and I think Newark is really going to benefit from it. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah. Did you say Cole Caulfield was a first line left winger because he's a right winger? Uh, uh, that's what uh, Daily Faceoff says. Okay. Line combination. Well, I I mean it's it's hard to really take anything that Daily Faceoff says at this point. Um, of the year, just because it's like who knows what how the lines are gonna develop, but yeah, no, um, but like I, I believe Cole Caulfield is strictly just a right winger, so I don't know, anyways. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could even put New Hook on as a left winger or center, or you make him a center, uh, like, like his natural position was, so yeah, whichever one works, I guess it's. Yeah, and it's like a low-risk, high-reward type of situation. So it's like, even if he's a third-liner, like, yeah, you probably hope to have him as a top six because he was, he does have that draft pedigree. But, yeah, if if, um, if he works better as a third-liner type player, then, yeah, even like a 2.9 or uh, what what he's worth is, you know, that's it's still a pretty good deal. So, yeah. Um, it's like a, it's a, it's a nice, a nice deal. Of course, it's like uh, still pretty long. So, um, so you probably don't want him if he's gonna continue to have thirty points in eighty-two games like he did last season. But, uh, but I, I would imagine he'll he'll improve um, over over the seasons. Um, yeah, and he's going to get more opportunities to, you know, get to that point where maybe you can trust him in those roles. I don't think he really got a chance uh, to fulfill those obligations in Colorado. Also, taking a look at Cap Friendly, it lists Caulfield as a natural left winger. Oh, weird. So, I'm not sure what's up with that. Maybe he switched sides of the wing, but... Yeah, that is weird. Because I, I believe, like, I, like I, I guess I'm just taking it from what seen when when he was drafted and then when he uh played um and then on fantasy purposes of course that he can only be a right winger so i don't know i i, I never knew that i mean i guess like it's certainly possible he could move to the other side but um that's weird um anyways uh will uh speaking of players who can be both a right winger and a left winger according to cap friendly 
Uh, Tanner Janot signs a <laughs> uh, two-year deal worth $2.6 million. Um, or, or, I, I feel like it, I should phrase those better because it's like, technically it's like, because it's two years, it's like four or five million, basically, give or take. Um, but like it's split up in two years. So, uh, so two years by uh, 2.65 million uh, each year um, for these two years. Uh, yeah, so uh, famously, uh, over the trade deadline, uh, the Lightning gave up quite a bit for uh, Tanner Janelle. They gave up five picks um, in, the, in the next couple of drafts, and they also gave up uh, Cal Foot as well, just to get this guy. Um, and they didn't really use him. I mean, granted, he was injured uh, during the playoffs, um, but even when he, like in the last 20 games of the regular season, uh, he had four points in those 20 games, um, and, um, I mean, okay, he did have 77 hits, um, in those 20 games, so that's, that's really the big reason why they got him, um, but the, the main reason why they got him was, um, in the 2021-2022 season, um, he, uh, had, um, 41 points and 318 hits in 81 games, so this guy's like a like a one of a kind type of player. Um, however, his offense kind of died down last season, Nashville, where he had 14 points in 56 games. Um, but his hits still continued. So it's like maybe there there is a chance that uh, that could continue. But um, what's funny is like I I, I do want to know what like I, I do want to wonder what was the negotiation table there. Like, because it's like, Tanner Janot must know, because they traded a, a whole lot just to get him. It's like, Tanner Janot could really ask for the moon, um, and Tampa would be like, oh, okay, let's, uh, let's do it, because they have, because like, they traded so much just to get him. Um, so it would have been funny um, if, they, if that, that stalled just because, like, Tanner Janot had the, the big ego, I guess. But, um, but yeah, no, this is a, it's a decent signing if you just forget about that whole trade, um, because like, yeah, he could still be a, a good depth forward for you, um, and who knows, maybe he will have those 41 points in 81 games, um, like he did um, in his rookie year. So, the thing about Tampa Bay, as we've all seen from the sidelines, is uh, the cap is really hitting them hard. And it's hit him hard in previous years, but they lost Alex Kalorn to the lowly Ducks um, because, obviously, money. Um, they had to retain a bit of Patrick Maroon's salary on record, trading him to Minnesota. Uh, I think they lost Pierre-Edward Bellamar to the Seattle Kraken as well, so there goes another guy. Corey Perry to the Chicago Blackhawks because money. He signed for a one-year $4 million there. Um, and uh, Brian Elliott is not their backup now. Jonas Johansson is, and he's been a fringe NHLer, AHLer at best. So this team looks a lot different. And um, currently their second line is Brandon Hagel on the left side, Anthony Cirelli down the middle. This is according to Daily Faceoff, so I'll tell you for what it's worth, because wait till I tell you who their right winger is on the second line right now. Brad, can you guess who it is? Uh, Brandon, do you say Brandon Hagel already? Uh, 
Uh, on the left side, yes, and Sorelli's the center. On the right side of the second line is oh. what I'm looking at. Um, I, yeah, just, just say it. I, I feel like it's going to take me too long to think. Uh, yeah, yeah, you probably wouldn't have gotten it, but yeah, it's a guy you've heard of, Connor Sheary. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was on Tampa. Wow. Yeah, they brought him in. Uh, I think Terry Janot today is better than Connor Sheary. The mm-hmm. Connor Sheary that they're bringing in is definitely a serviceable NHLer. I don't know if I feel comfortable putting him in the top six. So Tanner Janot, in an ideal world, I think when the season opens in October, he is going to be on the second line with Sorelli Hagel, uh, all of which have shown NHL potential or decent secondary scores, but all of whom need to get up a level. Um, obviously, you know, averaging 280 hits in an NHL season is important. Um, going from 24 goals to six goals is not good. Uh, his shooting percentage uh, in his short time with the Preds, um, it wasn't even a couple, it was a couple of years ago, was uh, during the 2020-21 campaign. He played 15 games. He got like seven or eight points, so he was like half a point a game. And his shooting percentage was like 20%. He got five goals on like 23 shots, I think. And um, his shooting percentage was also crazy good. Uh, the year he got 24 goals as well. His shooting percentage went down the tank last year that needs to go up um the other thing about tanner Janot is that uh, his ice time in particular hasn't really been you know the guy of you know a consistent top six forward top six forwards are probably like what 16 to 18 minutes uh probably 20 plus for you know guys like brady kachuk Connor mcdavid matthew kachuk austin matthews your superstar talents right um, Tanner Janot, I think, averaged like just under 16 minutes his official rookie season. And last year, it was it, it, it took a dive. And uh, he wasn't uh, relied on that much on the power play as well. Uh, you look at the guys that Tampa is going to be looking at to produce, and every single guy on that roster, uh, with Ross Colton, another guy uh, who got traded to Colorado, uh, he's gone out too. So secondary scoring, you're almost expected uh, in Tampa. If you're a secondary scorer, la- uh, secondary scorer last year, you're expected to put up top six uh, numbers this year because that's the only way they're going to be able, in my opinion, to keep pace with uh, the rest of the Atlantic Division. And I think the next two years, if Tanner Janot works his ass off and puts up the points that he thinks he can put up. Uh, he's really going to profit in a couple of years' time. I doubt Tampa can afford him at that point, but I definitely think someone else can. And uh, these next two years are pivotal to his NHL future in terms of what he can be. So um, I definitely think this is a perfect prove-it deal for Tanner Janot. And for Tampa Bay, they're banking on upside here, and they have to. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think... Um... We'll, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I mean, I remember when they made that trade to begin with and Breezebaugh had mentioned that, like, all the picks that he traded for uh, Tanner Janot wouldn't help him now. Um, and ironically enough, um, Tanner Janot ended up not, a, like, he was injured during the playoffs, so he never actually... <laughs> got to understand how, um, if, if Breezebaugh had a point or not. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I guess there is a lot of pressure on Tanner Janot right now, but uh, if he doesn't pan out, there is a chance that this would be one of the worst trades in 
like history um, or recent history at, at the very least. It's still not the Martin Erat for Philip Forsberg level, but um, it could be up there. Um, the uh, uh, I, you know what, I, I do want to see that trade tree, like, in, like, 10 years, where if Steve Dangle's still doing that, um, of, like, where, who did... I the, hope it does, uh, the, now that he's gone solo, yeah. That, yeah. that would be interesting. Three of the picks have been made, and there's still a second in next year's draft, and uh, I think a top 10 productive first round pick in 2025. Yeah. So that trade tree is not even going to be done after the next draft. It's going right. to be done in 2025. Well, that's why I said, like, in 10 years, because <laughs> like, we won't yeah. really know. Um, but um, Well, uh, I think there's a guy with the last name McKinnon, so that's not a great start. It's not Nathan, but the last name like, McKinnon, so he's and, probably going to turn into the next big thing. Probably, yeah. He went to, uh, he also played for the Halifax Mooseheads, too. Um, so, um, anyways... Uh-huh. Uh, um, I don't know what, what's going on with Steve here, but I'll just keep on going here. Uh, Keandre Miller. Um, well, the next topic here is Keandre Miller. Uh, he signs a 9.2 million. Um, my my computer is dying basically, um, but yeah, he had a, he had 30 points in like 70 ish games, I believe, um, and um, yeah, this is like I I had thought that. Like oh sorry, forty three points in seventy nine games. Um, I was way off. I was just guessing here, um, and um, yeah, this was one of those uh, signings. Of when you look at the list of like the, all the RFA's, you were thinking like you kind of have a sense of like all the RFA's that are going to be making a lot more than the other RFA's. And I had thought that maybe like Keandre Miller would be worth a little bit more than what he ended up getting. Um, but yeah, maybe this is another sign of the cap situation. Um, yeah. And um, and we'll see here, cause like, oh yeah, 3.872 um, million. Um, and um, yeah, for two years. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we know this is like a trend in all the, um, and all the signings that we've noticed is that a lot of the short-term deals and things like that. But yeah, this is this is definitely a steal for the Rangers. Um, might be one of the, the most underrated uh, contracts now because uh, he's he's still pretty good. Like yes, forty-three points for a defenseman doesn't scream at you, and I'm sure I feel like there's more offense to come with him. But uh, but at the same time, he's twenty-three years old. Um, and I, you know, he, you know, you can make a case that uh, maybe like Jacob Truba is, might be better than K. Andre Miller, maybe. But um, I don't know if I see that actually. I, I forget I said that. Um, but uh, but like either way, like both aren't as good as Adam Fox. But when you can get like you're arguably your second best defenseman under four million, uh, then that's a steal. Um, and especially since he's 23 years old, he's he's going to grow, um, and he's going to get better over time. And, and yeah, this is this is a great contract for them. And I, you know, I'm I, I don't really hate the Rangers, but um, uh, but like Montreal, I am jealous of this contract as well. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I remember very vividly uh, when Keandre Miller was drafted. I think the Sens traded down, um, yep. and they got like a later first and an early second round pick. Uh, they drafted two defensemen with those. One of them was Jacob Bernard Docker, who's still in their system. But uh, with that pick, uh, the Rangers trade up to get uh, Keandre Miller, and um, I heard good things about him then. But now that what I see that he is today. Uh, kind of wish uh, the Sens, yeah. you know, maybe drafted him with that pick and yeah. didn't trade down. But anyway, um, yeah, the Rangers have themselves a gem here. A guy who averages, you know, 20 to 21 minutes a night in all situations, even back to his rookie days. Uh, this past season, on top of, you know, being a guy that uh, generates a little bit of secondary offense on the back end because, you know, you have Adam Foss to generate the primary stuff. He had 162 hits as well as 105 blocks. He was five blocks shy of a 100-100 campaign last year, or uh, sorry, the year before that. And uh, as a rookie, in the limited amount of time that he played, if he played a full 82 games, he would probably be on pace for one of those 100-100 seasons, 100 hits, 100 blocks. So you're looking at a young defenseman, gonna be an RFA after this after this deal ends, primed to get paid as the cap goes up. Um, again, win-win for the player, win-win for the team, and you get to keep more of the Rangers group today uh, together for a couple more seasons with this deal. So I, I like it for both team and player. Yep, yep. Um, and then uh, Philip Zadina, uh, we, we talked about it last week that uh, the Red Wings terminated his contract, um, and then we were pretty sure that a team he would sign with another team uh, pretty soon, and uh, he kind of, like, I guess it's like a mutual agreement in this situation. I think it's, like, a little bit different from the Tony D'Angelo type situation, but uh, yeah, he decided to, to move on, um, and uh, he signs with the San Jose Sharks for a one year worth $1.1 million. Um, I believe in his previous deal, he was, like, it was, like, $1.5 million, so he's just making, like, $3,000 less or $4,000 less um, than he would have if he stayed in Detroit. So, um, and of course, that's like nothing to sneeze at either. So, um, so that's like, uh, so he, you know, he kind of did bet on himself and, and now it's like he's going to prove it here. Um, he had eight, I didn't realize it was this bad, but I, I can, <laughs> I guess we'll see. He had eight points in 30 games for Detroit last year. Um, and so, yeah, he, uh, he's not, uh, I, I guess, yeah, he, he kind of, we talked about this last week too. It's like, he kind of need, just needs a change of scenery. Um, and it's not like Detroit's going to be like any special. I, I don't know if, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but we definitely know the Sharks aren't making the playoffs because they are rebuilding and all that. And, um, and, they, they should have William Eklund in the mix. They should have Thomas Bordalo in the mix. Of course, they already have Logan, uh, Logan Couture and um, uh, Thomas Hurdle. So um, if, if Zadina can't make it here in San Jose, then, um, then yeah, there, there's like a lot, a lot is lost there because he's going to get a lot more ice time than he did in Detroit because um, it's not like he's... Um, he's like competing with all these other players um, 
and so so yeah that's that I, I really like this move for the San Jose Sharks because it's like all right you know the sharks aren't are in rebuild mode um, and they don't necessarily need like Zadina to take off or anything but um, if he does do well then either he can be a part of your core in the future because he's still 23 years old or you could trade him by the deadline because and you know trade him to another team um, uh, come come the trade deadline and maybe take him to the like as a um, as like a, a trade bait type piece so uh, they have a lot of leeway, but it's like a low risk, low risk, high reward type situation. And um, yeah, I like this deal a lot. I I like it a lot um, because um, not only is it um, a good fit for the team, but I think for Zadina to resurrect his career, this is the place to do it. Um, I know people are going to look at the five guys taken before him and all the all stars that were taken ahead of him, uh, looking at you, Quinn Hughes. Um, but this guy is a former sixth overall pick. Like, there's hype to him for a reason. Uh, 13th in points by 2018 skaters, despite what his stats from last year say. Uh, people forget in 2019-2020 on a bad Red Wings team, he played like, it was like 25-28 games, and he had 8 goals, 15 points. That's not a terrible stat line. Yeah. Um, uh, this, uh, not this past season, but the one before, he had 10 goals and 24 points. That's not terrible. But we're always looking at the glass lens of, yeah, but a sixth overall pick should be better. And yes, that's correct. Um, but I think some picks are late bloomers, and it doesn't, uh, like for some of the superstars, it takes them maybe mm-hmm. like a year or two to get acquainted, and then they take off. For others, it takes longer. Yep. And you put Zadina on a team that has guys like Logan Couture and Thomas Hurdle, uh, guys that have been there before, that have been in playoff battles, that know the law of the land, uh, that are just true professionals that can help him get through those rough patches and maybe get his confidence up. I think he can learn a lot from those two guys in particular. And you also look at the right side of the Sharks. Um, here's basically the depth chart outside of Philip Zadina. There's Fabian Sutherland, a prospect uh, that they got from the New Jersey Devils with NHL upside. That was uh, in the team of wire trade. They also got Anthony Duclair from an offseason trade a couple weeks ago with the Florida Panthers. And they have Kevin LeBanc, who's uh, nearing the end of his contract and presumably uh, trade bait. So he's not a surefire lock for top six minutes, but he has a fair shot to make his mark with the Sharks this year. And I hope he does yeah, it's it's definitely one of one of those players that you root for. Um, but like famously, he made that quote that uh, he's gonna fill the nets with pucks in Montreal and Ottawa because they they passed on him. Um, and Other he people have been filling the Sens net, Phil. If you don't have to worry about that, <laughs> right, right, right. Hopefully that stops soon. Same with Montreal too. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is kind of funny too because like the 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 player that the Sens picked instead was Brady Kachuk. Uh, so, yeah, yeah they, they definitely... Pick. Right, who, in a redraft, I, I, I would have to look back at that 2018 draft. I'm pretty sure Brady Kachuk would probably go number one in a redraft. Me, uh, uh, Dalene and Sveshnikov are pretty yeah, good, though. He's Queen definitely top maybe. three, though. He definitely goes ahead of Kakanian. Yeah, yeah, definitely there. And Quinn Hughes as well, but I, I, I feel like there's, there's probably another one. But, yeah... You could make a case, though, that Brady Kachuk is, like, 
like even more special than Darlene and Sveshnikov, but yeah, I guess you, you have a good point there. Um, and I also, I look back here, um, so um, yeah, so Zadina signed a contract worth 3.6 million um, for four years um, when, when Ken Holland was on the, um, was the GM there, so there's that. I, I was wondering that too. I, I wonder because like Stevie Y kind of he uh, he came into the GM after Zadina was drafted. I do wonder is then once Yeiserman was there, they kind of like changed their whole like philosophy on how to draft and all that stuff because for for the last you know since Yeiserman's been uh, the GM there, they've always gone with guys that you know, may not necessarily be a top 10 pick um, at the time, but they they um, they believe in the, the players, and so, like... Um, like, Braden Point, hello, yeah. he was a second-round pick, and look yeah. at him now, he's probably a top 10 pick well, in the redraft. Well, I, I was mostly thinking of, like, Moritz Sider and Simon Edvidson and well, Marco, yes. <laughs> Marco Casper... Um, even Nate Danielson, the the guy they drafted this year, he was like, mm-hmm. he was on at like thirtieth on a lot of these boards. So I do wonder because like that's the exact opposite of like the kind of players that the Red Wings go for now because they just go with the guy. They don't care about lists. They don't care what the scouts say. They they go by what their their own scouts say, and you know it, it has worked for Cider. Um, I guess Lucas Raymond was always going to be like a top 10 pick, so uh, they don't, that that doesn't really, that's like an outlier in this theory here, but, um, but yeah, the other guys, it's like, oh, like, you could have gotten him if you were in the teens or whatnot, so, um, so I I do wonder if there is like an element of like, he just never was like a Geiserman guy, and that kind of just affected them, and I, I am curious just to see if that that might, you know, maybe it's like a, a, like I think it's just he needs a culture change, and um, because like Detroit wasn't good uh, for a long time either, um, and they could have put gave him more ice time, but they never actually did, um, and um, yeah, so so I am curious what they're gonna do in San Jose, and cause San Jose doesn't really have a history of developing their prospects really just Thomas Hurdle and Logan Contour. I guess they do have credit for Joe Pavelski too, but anyways, um, point being is I am curious just like like just because it's a change of scenery I am wondering if it's like a team fit too, because that's the other consideration as well. Um, okay. Lastly, we get into some weird news here. Uh, speaking of... I call it borderline scary than weird. Just yeah, yeah. Look at the ESPN article a bit. Fair, fair, fair. I guess it's more. Um, well, I, I guess the better segue is because we were just talking about Sedina, and so we know that, like, yeah, he uh, he hasn't been as good as expected. Um, but Alex Galchenyuk, he's been in the league for about like ten years now, and um, this is probably the the last we'll ever hear of him, or you know, maybe he signs in the KHL or something, but. Um, he um, uh, kind of. I don't even think we mentioned it when we talked about it, but um, Alex, or you know, on the July first and the subsequent episodes. Um, but uh, Galchenyuk signed with the Arizona Coyotes early on um, in July, 
And then um, a few days later, um, we find that Galchenyuk's contract is terminated from Arizona. Um, this would have been his second stint in Arizona. Um, Actually, his third, believe it or not. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, because he's been on like seven teams or something like that, right? Yeah, since he left yeah. Pittsburgh, he's gone to Arizona. I forgot he was in uh, Pittsburgh, sorry, too. Since he left Montreal, Montreal <laughs> I was about to he's say. Been to, he's been to Arizona, then Pittsburgh, then Minnesota, then Ottawa, then Toronto, then Damn. Arizona again, then Colorado, and then Arizona again. I didn't even know he was on, like, I didn't even know he was on half of those teams. I know. I forgot. Yeah, the Sens had him for a time, and then that didn't work out. And they had him for 11 games, and he did nothing this time. I knew he was in Minnesota. I knew he was in Arizona, but I didn't realize he was in Pittsburgh and Colorado and Ottawa. Well, I remember the Pittsburgh one. Well, so, Montreal to Arizona, that was the Max Domi trade. And then Arizona and then Arizona Pittsburgh, that was the Phil Kessel yeah. trade. Right. So right. I remember those two, but then I forgot, oh yeah, Minnesota. Oh yeah, yeah. Ottawa. Yes, yeah, Toronto too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then oh yeah, Colorado for Oh yeah, Toronto. I, I, I vaguely forgot remember he that. had been to Arizona a second time before this. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Anyways, um so we were kind of That was like, all since twenty eighteen, by the way. That's five years. Like <laughs> not even the ten years. This is over the past five years. That's insane. Yeah. Um yeah, it, you know, like, even without this stuff that I'm about to get into, it's, like, it's even weirder that, like, Arizona signed him for another thing. It's, like, okay, he hasn't worked for six other franchises. For your te- your franchise twice, what makes you think it's going to work the third time? Or the uh, tenth time? Like, this would his tenth chance. Anyways, um... Whatever, that's not the future we live in, because uh, they terminated his contract, um, and supposedly, uh, Greg Wyshynski had reported this a couple of days later, saying that, like, there believes that Galchenyuk, um, you know, is about to be, like, arrested, and they just, the Coyotes just didn't want to deal with that. Uh, we didn't know the full details until a couple days later, when we see the, um, the report from the athletic, um, but we did know that he was there was like a hit and run um, and a DUI um, and like you know when when we think of this in relation to hockey you know you think of that Ryan O'Reilly situation where he he drives into a Tim Hortons um, yeah. and um, you know you think of like and what's funny is like Ryan O'Reilly later won a Lady Bing for being uh, the most gentlemanly, right? So, um, so, but, like, this is... I, I don't think Galchenyuk's getting the lady being, let alone being in the league. But, um, anyways, apparently, Galchenyuk, and this is according to The Athletic and the police report that they got a hold of, um, I, I don't want to say the full quotes because they're kind of They're They're crazy. chilling. Yeah. Like, you can't believe a guy said this. Right, but- right. But yeah. uh, but uh, supposedly uh, Galchenyuk allegedly threatened to kill officers and his family and use a racial slur during arrest. Um, I will I will say this quote because just to for anyone who doesn't know just to get a sense of what what this is. Um, he said, "Let me go, or I will make one phone call. You'll never see your family. How scary is that? One phone call and you're all dead. Your whole family, your whole bloodline is dead." Uh, this yeah. this cop was um, was black, 
um, and he uh, he uh, was just mocking him the entire time, even while drunk. Um, and um, yeah, and he repeatedly and Galchenyuk repeatedly called him a racial slur. Um, and uh, the officer even like told him to uh, to not refer to him as using that term, and he continued to say the derogatory meaning. Um, and threatened violence on me until arriving. Um, and um, I think there was another, oh yeah. And uh, Galchenyuk also told one officer that he'd make one call to Russia and have the officer's wife and daughter's kidneys to cut out. Uh, so that's, that's pretty psychotic. Um, even if you're like, you know, of course, when you're drunk, you say a lot of weird things that you don't mean, but um, but what, what's interesting is, is, like, I, I think back to, like, all the other chilling stories related to hockey that we've had in the past. It's, like, um, you know, I'm thinking of, like, the Mitchell Miller situation. Um, even, like, the, the one that I just referred to earlier on in this episode when, like, TDA was, like, um, had a, like, beat up or, like, punched uh, one of his teammates. Um yeah. And he was like, and he went online, and he was just had an outrage on Twitter and all that stuff, like, and and the Ryan O'Reilly situation. This is like a hundred times worse, because, like, yeah, this is like that on roids, which is which is crazy, because the Mitchell Miller situation, I never thought that like there would be a story that's worse than that, like, and you could kind of make a case for that too, but. The fact that, like, Delchenyuk is, like, a 30-year-old man, or uh, probably older than that. Like, you know, Mitchell Miller, he's a kid, whatever. Um, and, I mean, it is, like, you know, despicable what he did, but, you know, and he showed no remorse and all that stuff. But he's a kid. He was a kid when he did all that stuff. Delchenyuk is an adult, and he should know better and yes, when you're drunk, you're, you, you know, you may, not everything's like aligned and whatnot, like, um, but, but yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, like things like when you're drunk, it kind of takes what you really feel out of you kind of thing. You, you get inhibited um, in sorts. And like, this is, this is terrible. Um, so, so yeah, it, it seems like, uh, yeah, this is like, Funnily enough, because that's Mitchell Miller was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes, and they did a similar thing where they just renounced the pick um, from from the NHL, and they did a similar thing here. But um, it does make me wonder, because like you know, eventually the Bruins did end up signing Mitchell Miller. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly still has a a job. Uh, Tony D'Angelo still is in the NHL. Like, it's very possible that Galchenyuk could come back. Um, however, just from the fact that, like, we just listed that he was on nine different teams in five years, um, I feel like it, um, it's not going to happen. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like hockey just doesn't care about that. They, they're like, oh, well, Galchenyuk, maybe he... He can, we can call him up and, and do that. Or the Evander Kane situation, I even forgot about that. Um, I, guess, I guess the difference is, is that, like, for Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly, is that, like, they're talented players, um, and Tony D'Angelo as well. So, like, there is a need there. But, like, 
even if you forget this incident, Galchenyuk is not a good hockey player now. Um, there was a time his rookie year when he was good, but that was 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, of course, it's unfortunate and, you know, all that stuff. But just the fact that he, um, yeah, it's just it's just a crazy situation. I, I feel like there there is a chance that he'll come back, but, um, but just because it's the NHL and, and this is what they do. Honestly, with well-documented reports like this, um, like, he needs help. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, that's forget, a given. Forget the player for a second. That's a given, like, yeah. I fear for this man's safety and his well-being and everyone around him. Like, it, I, we're talking about a human being just losing grips of reality mm-hmm. right now. Like, those quotes are chilling. They're They're... Like, talk about things you shouldn't say to a police officer, like, ever. Or stuff you should... Or, or stuff anyone, you say not just a police or officer. Now, like, like, or yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, going after Same. someone's bloodline, like, threatening their bloodline. Are you freaking kidding me, dude? Yep. Like, sober or not, that's that's chilling. You you need you need help. And um, I'm sure this is a violation of the substance abuse policy because uh, it's all about confidentiality but apparently a former Habs coach Mario Trombley uh, cited back in 2017 that uh, Galchenyuk sought treatment for substance abuse so this might not even be his first go around with alcohol like this is a battle that if true um, has started well before his trade to Arizona the first time and I, I think this points to a bigger problem like get him to rehab get him counseling get him whatever the help that he needs and i hope the nhl just doesn't leave him high and dry to to face his demons on its own like if the nhl is big on second chances first of all get this guy help and then we'll see if he deserves a second shot or not i just i just want alex galchenik to be okay because right now he is not yeah, this is not the signs of an okay man to me. Yeah, I, I guess that that would given that like you know, as uh, like just um, yeah, of course it's like this. This seems to be like uh, about an uh, like an alcohol related incident. So that that's a given that you have to think of it as the person. But um, but yeah, um, not great. Yeah, he's twenty nine years old. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty pretty crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that old top three of 2012 is a novel in itself. Right, that was uh, that was the like, nail Yakupov. Uh, Ryan Murray, who Galchen. was injury prone, but he won a cup. Yeah, I was about to Galchen, say. Yeah. At least Murray had a has a cup though. So, but yeah. Yeah, injuries are what slowed him down, not off ice issues. Right, 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 right. Um, and then, um, but yeah, that might go down as one of the, the worst drafts. Um, although I, I, that's another draft that I would have to Morgan look at. Morgan Riley at five was probably the best pick of that entire first round. I'm sure there were some gems uh, yeah, elsewhere yeah. in the first round. But in terms of, yeah, top five picks that could clearly stick out to me, Morgan Riley. Like, I think was Griffin Reiner fourth overall that year, too? Like, the top four oh, was yeah, just maybe. nuts. Yeah, um... Yeah, that 
That sounds right, because I remember because I remember when Sam Reinhardt no, was... Griffin Reinhardt was fourth. Griffin Reinhardt was fourth. He went to the Islanders. Yeah, yeah. Was played 37 looking. games. Well... Out of the league by uh, Vegas's like nine Vegas's first season, actually. Okay, so... Okay. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm looking at the 2013 draft. Um, uh, that was, I mean, in a way, though, because this is uh, a trade that Peter, like, one of... This doesn't even come close to one of Peter Torelli's worst trades, but um, it did get the Islanders uh, Matthew Barzal um, in a way. So there's that. <laughs> so That's it's not all true. bad. Um, oh, this was uh, so Hampus Lindholm, uh, Mark Morgan Riley, um, and then Hampus Lindholm went right after him. Then Matt Dumba, Philip Forsberg was in this draft. Jacob Truba. Yeah. Tom Wilson, Thomas Hurdle, Vasilevsky, Terrifying Okay. Uh, those were Brady Shea. Um, of course, the Bruins drafted Malcolm Subban um, uh, in there. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, guess, I guess that's not too bad in terms of first round. It's just the yeah, first there, there's some, the first there's couple some picks. All-star talent, including probably one of the best goalies of our generation too like, yeah imagine montreal just taking vasilevsky third overall i know taking yeah. a goalie that high doesn't really work oh well man you you leave carrie price and then and in comes vasilevsky like yeah, my yeah. god well vasilevsky was a first round pick that year too but yeah yeah to, to be fair though i mean that was before the height of prime carrie price though. yeah yep. so they didn't have any reason to warrant drafting Vasilevsky. True. But I mean, the Leafs could have taken him. <laughs> Edmund, oh, oh, yeah, I mean, Edmonton, Columbus, yeah, they could all use him. Basically. Edmonton, yeah, true. Ottawa could have taken him as well, man. Although, I don't know how that would have looked if Edmonton takes a goalie in the, fir- the first overall pick, but uh, they could have. Um, anyways, um, yeah, we can... Um, I think I'm just stalling here. Oh, Chandler Stevenson was uh, in round three. Jonas Corpusalo, Adam Pellick in the third round. Freddie Anderson in the third round. Pareko as well. The third round yeah. was decent. Um, I know this is probably boring to a lot of our listeners here. Underrated fifth round pick, Alex Kerfoot, 219 yeah. career points. That's not terrible. Jacob Slavin in the fourth round. Um, Connor, Connor Brown in the sixth. I forgot about that. Oh, what are the chances that Vasilevsky and Hellebuck were in the same draft? That's crazy. <laughs> um, That's pretty crazy. And uh, what? And Linus Olmark. Linus Olmark was also in this draft. What a what a crazy thing for. Was uh, Or was that? Or was that a different draft? I I could have. Or maybe it was. No, it was 2014. I was thinking of that's broken and just jerking. We're in the same oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. draft. They went, they went in round four, I think. Well, that's crazy. Olmark, Hellebuck, and Vasilevsky all in the same draft year, and of that's course, impressive. Yeah, and of course, the Bruins take Malcolm Subban. Um, but, <laughs> um, anyways, um, at least we get Ampus Lindholm in a in a weird roundabout way eventually. Yeah, true. Um, so, um, and and Olmark, of course, as well. But, um. Anyways, we should talk about your team here, the Ottawa Senators, because yeah. they made a big trade here. Um, they did. 
famous second round pick because I remember the Bruins. I was mad that the yeah. Bruins passed on to Brinkett in 2016. Um, and I still do, but I, I don't hate Trent Frederick, which was the guy that they would have taken. And also Charlie McAvoy was in that draft as well. So I can't get too mad at the Bruins there, but of course you would, I would have liked to have Alex Debrinkett there. Anyways, um, he's going By the to... way, Alex Debrinkett is fourth in goals in that draft class behind only oh. Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, and one Matthew Kachuk. Interesting. That's that's a fun stat. He's also uh, played fewer games than Matthew Kachuk. Actually, out of that group, he's played the fewest, 450. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, the thought was, well, first off, he's, like, 5'9". And secondly, I think the thought was is that he was on a line with McDavid and um, Dylan Strome. And the thought was is that he, like, McDavid and Strome were better, like, were, were making Debrinkat better. But what was weird was the the next year uh, when Debrinkat was playing like on his own, he was still pretty good for the Erie Otters. So it, it didn't make a ton of sense. So it's just like, oh well, like so you're just not drafting him because he's short, because um, he still was pretty pretty good without McDavid. Um, anyways, um, Debrinkat goes to Detroit, um, and as rumored. Um, and then the Ottawa Senators get uh, Dominique Kubalik, uh, Donovan Sabrengo, and a 2024 first-round pick, which is a conditional, which I'll get into in a second because it involves both Boston and Ottawa in a weird way. Um, yeah. And uh, they also, and Ottawa also gets a 2024 fourth-round pick. Um, so going back to that first-round pick there, uh, the reason why the Bruins are involved is uh, the the Tyler Bertuzzi trade, um, where the Bruins did give up their 2024 first round pick to Detroit. However, that pick that the Bruins had are um, is like top ten lottery protected. So Detroit has the option to send their own pick or Boston's 2024 first round pick in the event that the Bruins um, so they have a choice there because I guess they could like let's say the yeah, basically event. we wait until uh, it, we don't yeah. know until the end of this year right. what they're going to do right right and like let's say in an event which I don't know if that's going to happen it might I guess um, is like if Detroit does better than the Bruins do in um, ne- next year then Detroit would likely send the Bruins pick instead. Um, yeah, they'll send the least valuable one to Ottawa. Right, right, exactly. Guess. But here's the thing. The Bruins, um, that that pick is top 10 protected. And in which case, the Bruins can retain the pick and transfer their, will, will transfer their 2025 first round pick instead. Um, and then Detroit will then have the option of sending Boston's um, 2025 unprotected first or their own 2024 first to Ottawa, um, and and that's the other decision that they would have to make. It's like a it's a weird like flowchart type situation here, but basically it's just that the the Red Wings will have to decide on the the worst of the picks between them or the Bruins. And if the but if the Bruins are bad enough that they're in the top ten, then they have to decide on if they want if the Bruins are gonna stink again the following year. 
or it's the beer Dorian yeah. or uh, except it's um, yeah. it's a Steve Eisman twist in which another yeah. team's fate decides this fate right 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 yeah I'm, I'm sure this is what will end up happening of yeah. course um, I need chess courtesy of Stevie Y, everybody. What, what's what's interesting is all three of these teams are in the same division, too. So it's like it just adds another, <laughs> like an extra bit of drama here, too. Yeah, it's thank like, you, Tyler Bertuzzi, by the way, who yeah. remains in the Atlantic Division and on either of those three teams. <laughs> That's also true, too, yeah. It's a weird, like, drama, like four way kind of drama. Yeah, four way rectangle. Yeah. yeah. Um, And somehow, the, I, I, I guess, like, the. Yeah, three uh, original six teams. I was going to say, like, Montreal's not even involved, but I guess you yeah. have three of the four original six in the Atlantic uh, involved somehow. Um, that's something. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I was, because uh, we had this conversation last week about it, and I was, um, I, like, I was assuming that, oh, I, I guess I should mention that the Red Wings then did sign Alex DeBrincat, um to a long-term deal, or like a five-year deal, right? Um, I don't have it was a, It was, was a four-year deal. It was originally on Cap Friendly as five. It was a four-year deal worth $7.875 million per okay. season. Um, and so he'll be like 29-30 when it ends okay. and uh, still in prime position to make more. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think my point at the time was I was just assuming that, like, DeBrincat was just gonna, you know, see how it goes um, in the first year um, in Detroit, and then, you know, he was pretty likely going to uh, sign there long-term, but um, I wasn't, you know, it's possible that he might not have been wanting to do that. Um, so, so I was thinking, like, okay, that's gonna lessen the value of the trade. Um, and then... Um, and then, yeah, it, it, so, so that did have some effect to it, but even still, like, I, I think you, I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk, of course, but, um, but yeah, Dominic Kubelik did have, like, a few good moments early on in the season where it seemed like Chicago messed up a whole lot, um, uh, just buying him out and giving him free reign to do whatever he wants. Um, and uh, but then he kind of struggled towards the end of the season. Um, so there, there still is some potential there in Ottawa. Of course, it's not going to make up what you lose into Brinkat, but at the same time, you know, the Senators are going to get back Josh Norris. They already have Brady Kachuk, they already have Tim Stutzla. Um, Claude Giroux also had a pretty underrated season. Um, so yeah, the, the, this is like you know, of course it sucks to lose to bring Cat, but at the same time, I think you would be happy. I, I think you'd be happy about this trade if you're a Sens fan. I had thought that maybe like Jonathan Bergeron would be involved somehow, but yeah, I, I didn't think a first round pick would be involved um, in any way, shape, or form for just for my weirdness, I guess. Um, and now I feel like an idiot. But, um, but yeah, so you also get a first there, too. And um, who knows how, like, Detroit and Boston could really struggle this year. So Ottawa um, might have a, have a good chance of getting a decent pick. Or, you know, there's also a chance that Ottawa is going to do better than both Detroit and Boston. So, um, so yeah, that, that's defi- it's definitely a good trade for, for you guys, of course. 
Detroit does end up getting the better player, but having said that, you know, Ottawa had a pretty good return for that. I really don't want to get overconfident on the sense because I have high hopes for them this year. I think this is the year where they hopefully make moves, make waves, and make the playoffs, but we'll see. Um, uh, before I get to my value of the trade, I do have a couple of questions for you, Brett, um, on this return. Uh, but I just want to lay out the scene for everyone at home as to what led to this trade. So fast forward to a year ago, and Ottawa trades for Alice to bring it. Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, the Sens leadership group, go to Pierre Dorian and at the exit meetings, and they say, hey, we feel like we're ready to compete. Can we please add guys now? Pierre Dorian's like, all right, you got it. He trades the first, a second, and a third. Dabrinkit is an Ottawa senator. For a year, they still have his rights at the end of it. Prior to that trade, he could not talk to Dabrinkit's camp. So he was taking a leap of faith, thinking, okay, you know what? With luck, we should be able to get him signed long-term. I'm not too worried about it. Let's make the deal. The guys want to compete. We're going to start to add pieces. This happened before they signed Claude Giroux in free agency. This happened before they extended Josh Norris. This happened before they extended Tim Stutzla at the start of the year. This happened before the Jacob Chikrin trade. And everything in between, like the Artem Zub extension, all that jazz. This was the start of the summer of Dorian. So keep that in mind. Then we go into the season. The Sens, as we know, start off slow. So does Dorian. And we get into January. And Pierre Dorian comes back. In between, there was reports that the Sens and Dabrinkit were talking contract extension, but then the team was put up for sale and all that stuff. So things were in limbo, no word on a contract. But anyways, in January, Dorian gets in touch with Dabrinkit's camp and they're just like, hey, um, talking contract, what do you guys think? And they're just, Dabrinkit's camp's like, well, we thought it would be kind of a little better. So they go out and they get Jacob Chikrin from Arizona. And they give up uh, more assets to get him. They give up the first round pick. So this, this by the way, was a trade that probably Ottawa wanted to make anyway. They didn't need to bring its approval, but, you know, probably pushed Dorian to make it sooner. So they did. Right. Anyways, so they get Jacob Chikrin. Obviously, injuries slow them down, but they're making a playoff push. It comes up just a little bit short. They're six points back of the final playoff spot. So then we get into the exit meetings. Pierre Dorian has seen Eric Carlson walk out of town. He's seen Matt Duchesne walk out of town. He's seen Mark Stone, John Gabriel Pecho, and others walk out of town. So he kind of has the idea of maybe what a player's body language looks like of, okay, this guy's probably walking out the door and we'll never see him again. He didn't really get the body language in a conversation with TSN 1200. He didn't get the body language that DeBrinket was keen on signing long-term. And he told that to DJ Smith. He's just like, long-term DJ, I don't know if he's coming back. And uh, then we get to the end of the World Hockey Championships, and he recalls uh, getting the call from Jeff Jackson to Brinkett's agent and says, hey, uh, we're willing to talk short-term, but long-term Ottawa's not in the cards. So at that point, you have a couple of options. You can go into this year, go to arbitration, get a one-year deal, arbitration, as we know, not always a pretty process. In fact, sometimes it gets pretty nasty. Um, but you bite the bullet, you get an arbitration deal, or you sign a, maybe a short one-year deal before arbitration like they did with Mark Stone. Um, or actually, his might have been an arbitration deal. Anyway, um, then you get to the 11th hour with Mark Stone. They get a contract. He eventually leaves. But you go into arbitration, you get a one-year deal somehow, and you take your chances with Dabrinka. Let's say the Sens start off slow again. 
or Dabrinkit starts off slow again. Or, worst case scenario, he's injured. Then you go into the trade deadline, it's just like, well, I guess we can't lose him for nothing, so we got to get as much as we can. Um, or, you know, the team could be doing well, and the player is doing very well, and then you're just like, well, we can't trade him now, because if we do, then uh, the fan base is going to be like, hey, what the heck? And then the dress team is going to be like, hey, what the heck? And the coaching staff, and everyone's like, hey, what the heck? And then, you know, uh, sponsors are like, oh, why did you do that? Um, so it doesn't really make sense to trade to break it if you're doing well. So essentially, you go into the offseason knowing he's probably not coming back. So given those realities, I think the decision is clear. Ottawa trades to break it, and they do it before the season starts. So... Knowing that reality, Pierre Dorian's going to be like, okay, well, now who who do I got to trade him to? Well, uh, he gave permission um, to for Debrinket to chat with nine teams. Uh, he revealed in his conversation with TSN 1200, Ottawa Sports Radio. And uh, he didn't reveal who those teams were or what the contract discussions were. Obviously, all that stuff's confidential. But those nine teams ranged from teams that were in the playoff hunt or actually... Actually, I've let me backtrack. He gave permission to multiple teams to talk contract with the Brinkett, but it wasn't nine. He was given a list of nine teams that the Brinkett was willing to go to. My apologies. So, so yep. that's my clarification there. So he got nine teams that the Brinkett wanted to go to. Detroit was supposedly near the top, and then he gave permission to multiple teams out of the nine teams um, for them to talk contract with Debrinket. Uh So over the course of that process, starting with Debrinket's nine teams that he was willing to go to, some of them were battling in the playoffs for the Stanley Cup. Obviously, you don't want to disturb them. Uh, some of them, you know, were obviously up against the cap, so they couldn't really do much of anything. He had to bring it what he wanted. And then you got, you know, the in-betweeners and everyone else. Mm-hmm. So then out of that list of teams that um, are willing to talk contract with the Brinkett, none were really willing to supposedly, according to reports, go to the lengths that maybe Ottawa was willing to give him, term and dollars. Supposedly he wanted Timo Meyer money, which is just under $9 million per season in over eight years. Um, for the record, the Brinkett signed $7.875 million per season, so he presumably, if those rumors are true, he took a million less to go back to his home state of Michigan. So then you go to, okay, well, out of the packages that Dorian liked, uh, and obviously the teams that are willing to talk with us about a contract and teams that are willing to give him a term of the dollars he might be offering outside of, you know, a million here or there, Detroit became the front runner. At that point, he says, essentially, you're trading with one team. You're talking to one team. Right. So for all the hot opponents that are saying, hey, the Sens got fleeced, Steve Eisman strikes again, they're back to do a corner. Stop that. They had no choice and you know. So with that being said, when you look at the trade, Brett, they got a top nine forward. They got a defensive prospect. They got a first round pick. Don't care where it is. They get a first round pick and they get a fourth round pick. Do you think Ottawa could have gotten a better return than what they got for Debrinket? Well, I just... Yeah. I already, uh, I mean, I already said this, that, like, I, I would not consider this a fleecing at all. Um, and, like, this was, and that was my point uh, earlier on um, last week about how, like, 
like the Senators don't have a ton of leverage, and that's why I wasn't even sure they were going to get a first round pick. So yeah, just the fact, the mere fact that they got a first round pick, that's that's really great, and the fact that like Kubalik, yeah, he's a, he's a decent player. So yeah, I I I like I don't I don't really understand why you would think that anyone would think that they got fleeced. This is more than enough. Like Detroit didn't have to do that or uh, trade all that much. Do you Zotolo think the back in the could center. have gotten more? My second question: Do you think they could have gotten more if they waited? Oh, or does that value go down? Well, what do you mean by waited? Like until the season started, or if, if they would have waited, um, if they if they waited until the start of training the season, camp. or like like even to like before training camp, if they waited a little bit longer to see if they could push their luck and get a little bit Got more. It. Do you think they would have lost that war? Got it. Um, I mean, I look back to when, uh, ironically enough, when Matt Duchesne, like, Matt Duchesne requested a trade. I know it's not the exact same situation, but, um, or, like, the Pierre-Luc Dubois-Patrick Laine trade. Because, um, like, those teams waited even though they knew that the team, the player wanted out, um, and then they got the the bet like they got a deal that they were satisfied with eventually um and then you get to like and then i also think of like situations with like timo meyer or um jack eichel or uh when or like uh even like matthew kachuk where it's like the player wants out um and you get whatever um, yeah, I, I guess there is some thought that you, if you waited, you might have gotten more. But yeah, at the same time, I don't, I don't think like this is a bad return at all. So uh, it's hard for me to know like what else are people ex- were ex- people expecting because it's not like you're gonna get a Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger back, right? Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if that's. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a tough question because it's hard to, like, for, like, a hypothetical. Yeah, no. Yeah, especially when you got a guy with, like, 27 goals in the minus 31 season. Yeah. I mean, that's not his best season. The fact that you got this type of return. Yeah, he was I a 40-goal guy, yeah. Yeah, better return than that if you wait a couple more months. So, you, you especially, think they, they... especially when the Red Wings need pure goal-scoring offense and you know it. Wait, you think that they would have gotten more if they waited? No, I think the longer you wait, the more the value goes down. So I think Ottawa had to pull the trigger as soon as possible. Got it, got it, okay, okay. So wait. Uh, That being being said, uh, my grade on the return. Dominic Kubelik is a top nine forward. Worst case scenario, he's on your third line. Oddly enough, I noticed on Twitter, he had the same amount of even strength goals as Debrinket last year, which is 12, which is interesting because Debrinket obviously is a power play guy. Mm. He got 15 power play goals. That's pretty good. Or at, at least, I don't know if it was 15 power play goals, but it was at least 10. Anyway, um, Dominic Kubelik is a guy, you know, you could sprinkle in for power play depth. Yep. Is a guy, worst case scenario, like I said, third line winger, um, I think has the opportunity to be a top six guy for the Sens. And I think on the second line is where he'll start. I think he'll get ample chances to prove himself there. Um, and let's not forget during Debrinket's down year in Colorado as a rookie, Debrinket, uh, uh, sorry, not Debrinket, Kubelik put up 30 goals, and this past year he put up 20. So it's not 
like this is, you know, just a guy with like one good season. Like Kubelik has a track record of putting up decent numbers. He's only 2.5 million against your cap. He's a UFA after this year. So you don't have to keep him. And with the cap going up and all that big name free agent market um, out there next summer, um, you know, maybe Ottawa finds their top six forward, not named Dallas to break it there. And um, the cap space they get by keeping or not keeping Kubelik is going to be the difference maker there. As for defensive prospect, Donovan Sobrango, really impressed by him at uh, the Makeup World Juniors last August uh, in a shutdown role in a decor with Owen Zellweger. I thought uh, Sobrango had some very good moments. And while I think it's going to take a couple of years of development, I think... Uh, Detroit's former third-round pick has NHL potential, and then hopefully in a couple of years we'll see that. The conditional first in 2024, Brett, as you mentioned, is very interesting because it depends on how good or bad the Red Wings do, but also the Bruins do. There's no guarantee that Dabrinkit is going to make the Red Wings instantly better, let alone a playoff team. And I really don't know what to expect for Boston, not just this year, but the year after. Um, so that's the game of roulette that Eisman has played himself in. If he chooses the Boston pick, uh, for example, and says, yeah, the 2025 unprotected first will go Ottawa's way. If Boston's bad, I mean, that could still be a top 10 pick in 2025. No, no, so I think... You never really know. I think the way that it would would work, though, is like, so, wait, wait, are, are you saying oh, that... Back. Yeah, no, no, actually, you're, you're right, you're yeah. right. I, I got they would, Detroit would still but, have to, because they would just send their own. Yeah, pick. they would yeah. just send their own. But right. that that could be, that's also a risk, because if Detroit is also bad, uh, you're probably sending a top 10 pick Ottawa's way anyway, or Fair. worst yeah. top 15. So right. that that could still be in Ottawa's favor. Uh, yeah. You also get a fourth in 2024. If the Sens are good at one thing, it's drafting in later rounds. So you never know what that pick could turn into. They got Igor Sokolov in the later stages of uh, the third round as an overager. They have Ridley Gregg in the system. Both are um, uh, Igor Sokolov is a RFA currently. So is Shane Pinto, who got 20 goals last year. So they have young forwards in the system that can, you know, fill the boy left by Debrinkit. As I mentioned last episode, the missed shots by Brady Kachuk, the bad puck luck by Drake Batherson, that can be made up from within. And then you also have cap space. This is the thing that people forget, is now they have about $4 million or so in cap space, thanks to this trade, um, that they can use on whatever uh, to fill the void. And then you go into next year with the cap going up, maybe you give Jake Sanderson the long-term extension that he's looking for. Uh, maybe you uh, are able to extend Jacob Chikrin as well. Or like I said, you get the top six forward not named to bring it in the free agency market. So as long as Ottawa uses that cap space wisely, uh, they can gain through this trade uh, in other ways. Um, so I, I don't think this is a lost cause. And I would still have done the Debrinka trade 10 times out of 10 because of what it signaled. It signaled that Ottawa was trying to get better. It was a signal to the players that are already within the organization that we trust you, we believe in you, we're giving you guys to succeed. And the fact that they also got Jacob Chikrin to help out to bring it and help out this team further uh, illustrates that there's a lot of talent on the Senators roster uh, that can do incredible things for this city. 
And the best is yet to come, and Debrinket leaving uh, doesn't damage that as much as Eric Carlson leaving or Mark Stone leaving, because this is a different time. The Sens are on the way up. And when I look at the division, uh, that is the Atlantic division, as we've said many times, Capel for Tampa, injuries and also kind of Capel for Florida, not sure what to expect with Boston, uh, Capel in Toronto, also not sure what to expect with Toronto, Montreal is fun but bad, Detroit, not sure what to expect. With the Sens, even a lot of pressure is ride, are riding on them, but uh, you're not sure what to expect. And Buffalo, while they're probably a playoff team this year, they have made the playoffs in over a decade, so you're not really sure if this team has the genetic makeup to be a playoff team uh, over an 82-game season. So the opportunity is there for Ottawa to, I think at worst, be a wildcard team. At best, maybe third. That might be pushing up maybe third in the Atlantic Division. But I definitely think they're in the conversation for those wildcard spots, and they should be able to secure one of them. Um, and I think, again, would I do the Debrinka trade again? Yes, 100%. It's just that he wanted to go home. And yep. I don't fault a guy for going home yep. um, if it's, you know, best for his family. I'm, I'm never one to question that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've mentioned that before. Or we've done this podcast enough times that I know this is your sentiment usually. Whenever a player requests a trade, it's usually like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, you should grant that, that wish. Yeah, the, the guy was not, wearing a Pistons hat yeah. when he was meeting the Red Wings media. He was talking about Farmington Hills, the U yeah. teams they played for, the local rink he played yeah. in. He has a young son that gets to be with his grandparents. Yeah. He, he wanted to go home, and he presumably took less money and less years to do yeah. that. So I don't I don't blame Debrinket for how things went down, and I hope Sens fans don't boo him because yeah. it, it, it was his choice. He wanted to go home. And sometimes your your best isn't good enough, no matter what right. your roster looks like. If, if a guy wants to go home, he's going home. Yeah, I mean, as for, um, as for your assessment of the Atlantic Division... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the only teams that we really know are going to be good next year is Toronto, um, and uh, yeah, I guess and Tampa, um, and then the rest are just like wild cards. And I guess we, I mean, yeah, Montreal might be better too, um, but um, yeah. So like you know, it's it's all like there's a like, and then that just means that there's six teams fighting for that third spot. But at the same time, like last year. This time last year, we all thought Florida was going to be in the mix again. They barely made the playoffs. And we all thought the Bruins were going to miss the playoffs, except for me, who uh, predicted them in the wild card. And I only did that because I'm a homer. Um, so <laughs> so that all that to say is that, like, you don't really know. Like, yeah, I mean... It, it is funny how you still think the Senators are going to be a playoff team, even though they ended up losing a bad play. Like, they, they ended up losing a pretty good player. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, the, the Senators are still a pretty good team. Um, and, like, just because they traded away DeBrincat um, doesn't mean that they're, um, they're going to be, like, worse than Detroit is, or they're going to be worse than Boston is. And I would disagree, too, that I feel like Detroit, um, this definitely makes Detroit a lot better. Um, they still have some question marks, of course, like in goal. I don't think Philly Cuso and James Reimer are going to be um, 
the duo to, to make it there. But they have some good pieces now because you add in, like, Dylan Larkin, you add in Alex DeBrincat, um, Lucas Raymond, uh, maybe he takes a step forward. I did. I thought the Senators were going to get Jonathan Bergeron, and that's only because he he has a lot of potential in him. So you it's add also in, a Swedish forward, and we do really well with those. They do, yep. And uh, of course, and speaking of that, they have uh, Mo Sider, um, Simon Edvidson's in the mix here. We'll see what Marco Casper, if they call him up this year, um, I guess that's possible. Um, so, and oh, did I mention Simon Edvidson? So, um, yeah, so so they, they have a decent core here. They signed um, Shingo Sespere. They got uh, Daniel Sprong, who had, a, I, I keep on mentioning this because it's still like such an unbelievable fact that Sprong had 20 goals in with 13 minutes of ice time. Um, so, so, so like, even, like, even if he, you know, he might not do the same thing, um, this in, uh, in Detroit, uh, that he did in Seattle, but like, like that, that that's really good. Um, and like, and now I'm just wondering what happens if you give him more ice time. Um, so, so yeah, they, like they do have some nice deals, of course, like the Justin Hall uh, signing, I didn't like, um, there's like a couple, JT Comfer, who knows, but like they, they have some like decent signings this year where I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe Detroit could be pretty good. Um, and we'll see. Yeah, and uh, the the thing with Detroit is, I I feel like when it comes to which uh, team is better, obviously goaltending is yep. going to be the big factor because while Corpusell has a good track record lately, and uh, with um, hip surgery hopefully correcting um, you know some of the technical flaws in his game. He sounded like a better technical goalie from what I've been hearing last year, which is good. You also have Anton Forsberg coming off of, you know, a pretty bad injury. It's expected that he's going to be ready for training camp, but I'm kind of skeptical. I wouldn't be shocked if Stilgard starts the year as the backup. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the tandem of Huso and Reimer in Detroit. I think Goldtang's definitely going to play into that. And also beyond the first pairing, uh, your blue line. I mean... Uh, the current defensive pairings, I don't trust these for a second. Uh, the second pairing is Shane Goss's pair on the left and Justin Hall on the right. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, Justin Hall has good games. When he has bad games, he is unusable, in the words of Steve Dangle. So, um, yeah. yeah, I have questions about they still have defense some, yeah. just as much as I have about the Sens, but I think on paper the Sens defense is better than Detroit's. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, compare. I guess compared to Ottawa, maybe that's the case. But yeah, I mean, I do like the Ghost of Spare signing, though. Um, that that's something yeah. that's kind of that's pretty I, good. I think for them. he needs to be paired with the right guy, though. And yeah, it's, fair. By the looks of it, um, if you like the Wallman Cider pairing, it looks like Ghost of Spare's potential yeah. pairings are either Justin Hall or Ben Sherratt. 
Oh. And Benchrod didn't look really that good last year either. So right, um, that's true. That's fair. That that is a bit of a rock and a hard place for Stevie Y and the yeah. group to figure out. But uh, that's right. their problem, not Ottawa's. Well, so. well, according to Cap Friendlies, um, and again, like as I, <laughs> it comes full circle, I guess, because I was just telling you about like who knows what the line what the lines are actually going to be because this is the middle of July now. Um, but uh, currently, Cap Friendly has Debrincat, Larkin, and Perron as the first line. Um, and then the second line, they have Comfer, Fabry, and Raymond. The third line, they have Kopp, Rasmussen, and Christian Fisher. And then the fourth line, oh, I forgot they had uh, Clint Costin, uh, Joe Valino, and Daniel Sprong. Um, That's one heck of a fourth line, man. I yeah. think Sprong could be a third line guy, Cl- though. I don't, Cl- I don't yeah. buy the fact that he's on the fourth line. Yeah, yeah. Him. And and Clint Costin's also also is pretty good. Um, with and I, I got that wrong, by the way. So what? Because I said thirteen minutes of ice time for Sprong. It was actually eleven minutes of ice time, which is even more impressive. <laughs> um, and Clint Costin, Clint Costin had ten minutes of ice time on average and twenty-one points in fifty-seven games. That's not bad. Although I think a couple of those were like I, even I could score with Connor McDavid on my line. Uh, but um, <laughs> so so maybe there's something to that. But yeah, it's it, he he had a decent draft pedigree uh, if I remember correctly. So there could be something there too. But yeah, I feel like the fourth line and the third line should be switched. Um, and oh yeah, and Andrew Cop. I don't know what happened to him la- la- this season, but the previous season he was actually pretty good as like a depth role piece. So I wonder if he might have a bounce back. And then on the defensive side of things, they have Mort Sider with Jake Wallman, Ben Sherratt with a Justin Hole, and Oli Matta. Oh. And then for some oh, reason, it's even worse. Yeah, for some reason on the th- <laughs> third pair they have. Go, like they have go, ghost bear on the third pair i don't understand that but um but yeah they have ghost bear with olimata um and then huso and james armor so yes the the defense needs some work other than cider and the goalies are still inconsistent but i don't hate their forward depth um and you know maybe they they upgrade a little bit but um, There's but, also Berggren and uh, Soderblom yeah. listed as scratches. And right. Those are two guys that really piqued my interest at training camp last year. So yeah. they could be guys that fall in line and you know get NHL spots. Too. Yes. They also uh, mentioned uh, Simon Edvidson. He's in the injured reserve. He um, yeah. He could be a good prospect for them. Our Carter um, Carter Mazer um, is another forward that could make a step forward this year as well. So. Yeah, um, I don't think Casper is ready yet, but I get, yeah. man, I can't wait to see him play in a couple of years. Yeah, that would be cool. Even if I'm a Sens fan and I have to watch him in a division <laughs> a lot, but. What's funny is, like, I remember during this season in particular, it felt like you you talked about the, the Red Wings a lot. Um, yeah, so. I they were my team to watch because yeah. they had so much intrigue. And yeah. uh, you know what? In, in previous years, um, I've either been right or a year too early. Uh, so maybe this is one of those year year too early predictions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, uh, I was right about the previous year saying the Flyers would be the one to watch, and yeah, boy, were they one to watch? <laughs> technically, <laughs> for all yeah. the wrong reasons. Yeah, technically, you are right. Um, yeah. We'll see. Um, 
Okay, um, that about does it here for us on Lace Em Up. You can follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, um, wherever else you get your podcast. Um, so actually, full disclosure, I actually don't have, I got rid of my Facebook. Um, so I'm not even sure if Lace Em Up is on Facebook anymore. Uh, on Facebook, I just haven't touched it in yeah, like, yeah. Uh, at least a year. So, um, <laughs> and I only use the Twitter account now just to... Uh, yeah, tw- tw- Twitter is probably where you find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twitter, I only use Twitter, though, for um, just uploading the episodes. So, um, so yeah, if you, but like if you're subscribed to iTunes on, on iTunes or Spotify, you'll get that anyways. Um, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, but, uh, but yeah, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 374 of the Lace Up Podcast.